Planning on traveling this summer? Make saving at the pump part of your plans with two times the fuel points from Harris Teeter. It's easy. Download your eVic coupon, and for every dollar you spend with your Vic card, you'll get two fuel points. That's up to $1 per gallon on quality fuel at participating BP and Harris Teeter fuel centers. Download your eVic coupon today and save money at the pump all summer long with eVic and Harris Teeter fuel points. <coughs> Thank you for coming this morning. We appreciate your presence very much. Take your Bibles if you would, please. Uh, chapter 23. <coughs> this is part three. And we had Lord's Supper a couple of weeks ago. So we're, we're looking at the Lord's Supper. How it was started in scripture, uh, what it's supposed to mean to God's people. And uh, so we've had two parts already. Uh, the Lord's Supper represents, number one, a big change uh, from an Old Testament benchmark and feast and holiday to something very significant uh, that's a new testament, a new covenant. So it's a change. From the Old Testament Passover to the New Testament. Uh, Christ our Passover, the verse says. Christ, for Christians, our Passover. The Jews had their Passover, which was white and fluffy. Okay, Christ is our Passover. He's the Lamb of God that was sacrificed for us. So it's a change from the Old Testament Passover to the New Testament. And uh, last week, uh, it's an offering, that's for sure. But just like the song that we just sang, it was based on some passages of Hebrews says, it's a completed offering. It's a one-time, all-sufficient offering. Christ hath redeemed us once for all. Uh, the passage says, this man, speaking of Jesus, listen to the words of Hebrews 10, 10 through 12. When he had offered one sacrifice for sins forever, he sat down at the right hand of God. And that just kind of sums it up. So that's kind of what we've seen so far. Uh, we had notes available for those messages. They all went for a change. Uh, back when I was optimistic, I used to make 20, 30, 40 uh, pages of notes instead of here. And then I'd have, like if I made 30, I'd have 27 on the left. But I got bold again, I made 10 copies and, uh, of those messages, and they were all done. So if you want a copy of either message, let me know. And I got gold this morning. There's 15 copies right here uh, to finish out the series. So it's a change. It's a completed offering. And this week we're going to focus on it's a commemoration of Thanksgiving. And commemoration is just uh, it's a big word. To commemorate means just a call to remembrance, to mark by ceremony or observation. And that's exactly what we do with the Lord's Supper. We call to remembrance by observing and we're reminded of what our Savior did for us. So, with that said, let's pray and we'll jump in. Thank you, Lord, for our Savior. Thank you for all the songs this morning that are focused on Him and who He is and what He's done for us and the fact that uh, in life and certainly uh, at the moment of death and all through eternity, He's all-sufficient. He's all we need, and we're thankful for that. Open our hearts, help us to listen carefully, uh, think, 
along, Lord, and uh, to receive the truth that you've given us. We pray that we would be able to give that in a very clear way, a Christ-honoring way, a way that would strengthen uh, our faith in our Savior and draw people to him. So we commit the next few minutes to you and ask you to use it for your glory, for your honor. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Amen. So, uh, the Lord's Supper is a commemoration of thanksgiving. Look at Luke uh, chapter 22. Notice verse 1. And the feast of unleavened bread drew nigh, which is called the Passover. Look down to verse 7. Then came the day of unleavened bread, when the Passover must be killed. And that's referring to an actual physical lamb. When the Passover, the Passover lamb, must be killed. Uh, verse 12. He shall show you a large upper room furnished. There make ready. And they went, and they found, as he had said unto them, and they made ready the Passover. That means they baked some bread, and they roasted a lamb. And when the hour was come, he sat down with the twelve apostles with him. And he said unto them, With desire, I have desire to eat this Passover with you before I suffer. For I say unto you, I will not eat any more thereof until it be fulfilled in the kingdom of God. And he took the cup, and notice, he gave thanks. And he said, Take this and divide it among yourselves. For I say unto you, I will not drink of the fruit of the vine until the kingdom of God shall come. And he took bread, and he gave thanks, and he broke it, and he gave it to them, saying, This is my body, which is given for you. This do in remembrance of me. Likewise also the cup after the supper, saying, This cup is the new testament in my blood, which is shed for you. All right, let's look at some things. Uh, two main things are transpiring here in this passage. Uh, one centers around the holiday that we just came through. Uh, they're giving, they're giving thanks. They're giving thanks. See the phrase there in verse 17? He took the cup and gave thanks. Uh, see verse 19? He took the bread and gave thanks. So let's look at the action. Let's see first of all uh, what uh, they were doing. Well, they're they're having a meal, but it's this is not just what we would say grace. This is not giving thanks for daily bread for the meal that just happens to be on the table. This is a this is a celebratory meal. This is a holiday meal. This is a big deal. Uh, they're giving thanks for uh, the whole idea of the Passover. Uh, we'll get to that more fully in just a minute. But I want you to understand the word that's being used here. The gave thanks, the gave thanks, that, that's a verb, obviously. It's an action word. Uh, and we don't pronounce it right in English, uh, and I probably won't do a very good job in the underlying language, but see if you can figure out what English word comes from the underlying word. Eucharisteo. It's kind of got a, a Spanish accent there. Eucharisteo. And from that we get the word, the English word, the, the Eucharist. And so that's not a word that we use very often it's a significant word, but it's a very simple word. Uh, it just means to be thankful and to give 
thanks. And here they gave thanks. It's, it's the verb form. Uh, the noun form is used some other places in Scripture. Listen to these verses. The first one is 2 Corinthians 9.11. See if this doesn't describe you and I as believers. Being enriched in everything to all bountifulness, which causes us through thanksgiving to God. Have we been enriched? Have, has God given us many blessings, spiritual and physical, and it just causes us to give thanks to God? And uh, we had prayer around the table down in Tennessee on Thursday. There were 13 different uh, people there. My mother-in-law was noticeably absent. Uh, but she had a way of closing out her prayers. And uh, her daughter and her granddaughters emphasized Grandma's phrase when they when we all finish the prayer for Thanksgiving. The verse is Philippians 4.16. Uh, be careful, that's literally full of cares, anxious, all worked up for nothing. But in everything by prayer and supp supplication, what's the next two words? With thanksgiving. With thanksgiving. Let your requests be made known unto God. And my mother-in-law, almost, not every time, but probably 80 to 85% of her prayers ended with, with thanksgiving. Amen. So when they finished the prayer, that's what everybody said. With thanksgiving. And as Christians, we have so much to be thankful for, and primarily for our salvation, and that is based entirely on Christ, our Passover, being sacrificed for us, and so here they were at the Old Testament Passover celebration, so to speak, giving thanks. And now with the Lord's Supper, uh, we give thanks, uh, not for daily bread, but for Passover, uh, our Passover uh, being sacrificed for us. So that's the action. That's what they're doing. They're giving thanks at this dinner. Now why, why are Christ and his disciples doing what they're doing in this passage? Uh, well, they were Jews. Physically, they were Jews. And it was their duty. Um, look at verse 7 again. Then came the day of unleavened bread, when the Passover must be killed. Uh, so for Jews, this was understood. And we're not going to go back to Exodus this week. We did that in the first message. Uh, but this was supposed to be, according to Exodus 12, verses 14 and 15, this Passover meal was supposed to be a memorial forever. Jews were told, you just do this this year and right on through at a certain month, at a certain day of the month, you bake your unleavened bread, you kill the lamb, you roast it, you eat it uh, over the fire, uh, and so on and so forth. Uh, so as Jews, it was their duty. Uh, and... As Jews, it was their delight. Uh, it's a celebration. Uh, what is the Passover? What is the Exodus? I mean, where does the book get its name? What does Exodus mean? What's that mean? What's that mean above that door? It says Exodus. We can all see what it says. What's it mean? Out. Out. Ex ex is out. There's another one. Don't do it now. <laughs> We're just getting started. But the X means out. So Exodus is when God brought them out. Out of where? Out of what? 
They were slaves in the land of Egypt. They'd been there for 430 years and they couldn't do a blessed thing about it. They were stuck, notice, in physical bondage for four centuries. And uh, I've just done a little homework. We don't, we don't get it. I mean, we think we've got it. Oh yeah, I know, we say. I already know that. But we don't know it. Uh, how significant this was to, to Jewish thinking. The phrase, out of the land of Egypt. You can look it up in the concordance. Out of the land of Egypt. You can do it on a computer search. That phrase is found 75 times in the Bible after Exodus 12. God brought you out of the land of Egypt. Can you imagine repeating that 75 times throughout the Old Testament? God didn't want them to forget this. I brought you out of the land of Egypt. They were slaves there. They couldn't do anything about it. And even into the New Testament, that phrase is used several times. You can see it in Jude verse 5. Right near the end of the Bible. The second book of the Bible starts it. In, in the second book from the end of the Bible, still talking about it. God brought his people out of the land of Egypt. So that phrase is used 75 times after the Exodus actually took place. And then a shorter version of it, out of Egypt. That's used 71 more times in the Bible. And God started talking to Moses in Exodus 3. Remember that? He calls him the burning bush and take off your shoes, you're on holy ground, and so on and so forth. God started telling him right then. You can look it up. It's three times in chapter 3. I'm telling you, I'm going to take the people out of Egypt. God started informing Moses, and you're going to be my spokesman. It's going to facilitate this process. And we know other things about that passage. You remember what he said, not me. Not me. I can't talk good. And so on and so forth. And God just said, I'll, I'll take care of that. I'm telling you, you're the man. And I am going to take my people out of Egypt. Uh, put your thumb where you are. Uh, go back to Deuteronomy chapter 4. Again, this is found 71 more times throughout the Old Testament. I just want you to see one of those places, and then maybe we can understand how significant this Passover is to a Jewish person and why they would sit down with their unleavened bread and their roast lamb and give thanks. It wasn't for the food. It wasn't for the food. It was for the fact that God preserved them as a people. God got them out of Egypt. God brought them into the promised land. That's what they're giving thanks for. So here in, in uh, Deuteronomy chapter 4, actually the paragraph starts up in verse 14. Uh, we don't have time to start in verse 14 at the beginning of this, this message or this teaching session. But if you'll drop down to uh, verse 20, boy, the, the wording is strong and clear and good here, vivid. But the Lord hath taken you and hath brought you forth out of the iron furnace, even out of Egypt, to be unto him a people of an inheritance as you are this day. And God goes on and this teaching lesson goes on. And if you'll just keep reading on uh, verse 34. Uh, or, or hath God a, a say to take him a nation from the midst of another nation? He's still talking about. Then look at verse 37 in particular. And because he loved your fathers, therefore he chose their seed after him and brought thee in his out in his sight, which with his mighty power out 
of Egypt. And it, and, it, and it keeps on going. That's one of the 71 passages you can find that phrase, out of Egypt. And again, what would what, they say? 74, 75 times out of the land of Egypt. And while you've uh, got your thumb in place, why don't you go to First Corinthians, Chronicles in chapter 17. And with about six or seven of these passages, First Chronicles chapter 17, God uses another key word that means something to us in a spiritual sense, and he uses the same word in conjunction with what we're seeing. When God brought Israel out of Egypt, out of the land of Egypt, he uses another word that's significant. First Chronicles 17 and verse, uh, let's pick up in 20 and 21. O Lord, there is none like thee, neither is there any God beside thee, according to all that we have heard with our ears. And what one nation in the earth is like thy people Israel, whom God went to, notice the word, redeem, redeem to be his own people, to make thee a name of greatness and terribleness by driving out the nations from before thy people, whom thou hast redeemed out of Egypt. And so about seven times he uses this word redeem in relationship to this process. And that word has a special connotation to us. By the way, in the Old Testament, this word and the word that's used throughout all these redeemed passages is an interesting word. It can mean different things. It can mean to sever, to cut off. It can mean to release. And it can mean to preserve. And I guess all three are true when you're talking about the first exodus. Uh, uh, he cut off it, uh, Egypt. Um, he released them from bondage and he preserved them as a people. So all three of the meanings apply. And Vine, my, my dictionary guy, uh, I saw what he had to say. He said many times this word redeem, redeem, uh, involves an intervening action. I, I like that. Would you say that the Exodus, would, would you say that God intervened, that he took intervening action on Israel's behalf? Did he, did he enter, did he inject himself into the process and did he just show up? I guess, I guess it's intervening action. Amen? Uh, an intervening action that facilitates a release. So that's what this Old Testament word for redeem means. Now go back to where you are in Luke. And again, there's only two points to this message. The first is giving of thanks. And we're asked, we're answering the question, what are they doing and why are they doing it? And so here they are. Uh, we saw verse 1. It's holiday time. It's, I'm telling you, the Passover in this feast was just like Thanksgiving and Christmas all rolled into one for the Jew. They didn't miss this. This was the big deal. They didn't have turkey. They had roast lamb. And it was a celebration. And the unleavened bread, you know, we talked about that. Eleven was a yeast and it, and it made it rise, but that took time. And the whole picture, the whole concept of unleavened bread is you don't have to wait. you got to bake it in a hurry. You know, you can be rough on the dough and throw it in, and it, it's, it's harder, but it's faster. The whole process is faster. And he said, make it with haste, eat it with haste. Be dressed, because we're leaving. That was all part of the Passover. 
And so this unleavened bread, whenever, you know, the kid would think, gee, how come mom made the hard stuff again? You know? Well, it, they, it was to remind them. Uh, we made this in a hurry. And our forefathers made it in a hurry all the way back in Exodus. That's not that's pumpkin, sorry. Uh, there we go. I should read that wrong. Anyway, that's part of it. So it's feast time. And here they are. They've got their unleavened bread. They've got their roast lamb. And as Jews, they're, they're celebrating this Old Testament holiday because it's a memorial to them forever. And then he takes the cup and he gives thanks. And then he takes the bread and he gives thanks. And the guys around the table were thinking, well, this has to do all the way back for about 1,475 years ago when this started. And that's what we're doing. And as we've seen, and we'll see again a little bit, uh, he's transitioning from that lamb and this roast lamb to I'm the lamb of God, slain from the foundation of the world. So they're, they're giving thanks. They were uh, released from Egyptian bondage, from physical bondage, and uh, that's what they're giving thanks for. This unleavened Passover bread was not the usual bread. So that's what they were doing. Uh, but second point of the message is, there's a new focus and a new purpose in what they're doing here. Now, look, if you will, again in verse 20. Likewise, also the cup after, after supper, saying, this cup is the New Testament. Key phrase, New Testament. In my blood, not the, not the fuzzy white lamb's blood. That's not what he's talking about. He's changing gears here. This is a New Testament, and this is based on my blood, you see. Uh, so we saw a couple weeks ago, the word testament means covenant or agreement. Matthew makes it very clear the way that he says it. This is my body, Christ said. This is my blood. That's the emphasis on the personal pronoun. This is my body. This is my blood. See, Christ is focusing, refocusing attention off of a animal and on to himself. He, he's saying, guys, pay attention. We're making a big modification here. We're making a big transition here. We're shifting focus. There's a new purpose here. And there's a new lamb. And again, 1 Corinthians 5, 7 is the verse. If you're not familiar with it, most of you probably are. Christ, our Passover, is sacrificed for us. Now, Paul was a Jew. He understood the original Passover. So when he says our Passover, is he speaking as a Jew or as a Christian? He's speaking as a Christian. Christ, he says, is our Passover as Christians. He had a fuzzy white Passover as a Jew, but he said, I got something much more important to celebrate now as a believer. Christ, our Passover, is sacrificed for us. So there's a new, uh, there's a new testament and again, just think of that word literally, that it's a covenant, that it's an agreement, that it's a contract that you're making with people. And this is old, you know, I'm stealing this next little outline. Someone said, uh, for God's contract, it's right in John 3.16. There's three parts to it. The fact of God, the act, A-C-T, of God, and the pact, P-A-C-T, of God. And that word pact is one more word that means the same thing. That's an agreement. That's a contract, right? So what's, let's see the fact of God in John 3.16. What's the first two words of the verse? 
for God. It's like in the beginning, God. So that's the fact of God. In the beginning, yeah, I, I guess I did focus. In the beginning, there was God. In John 3.16, for God. doesn't argue his existence, it just states it. For God, and then what's the action? It's actually two-part in John 3.16. For God so loved the world, and then the big one is that he gave. That's the act of God. He so loved that he gave his only begotten son. And then what's the pact? What's the agreement that God makes in that verse? That whosoever believes in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. Sign up for that one. Amen? When the guy turns the paper around and says, you want to agree to that? Grab the pen right out of his hand. Where do I sign? I got a call just before we got ready to go to Tennessee. I made a visit a couple weeks ago over outside of Sile, going down towards Allentown, out in the boonies. Phone rang, and this woman's on the phone. She told me her name, and actually was she was calling with reference to her mom. She said, my mom is in hospice care, and uh, she wants to talk to you. And I didn't recognize the woman who was calling and recognize her name. When she told me her mom's name, I didn't recognize her mom's name. <clears throat> and I was complaining uh, to people in private that I wonder when I do these funerals, do people listen to what you're saying? Well, I got the answer in this phone call because the daughter went on to say, my mom was at a funeral you preached 11 years ago. And she, she wants to talk to you. And her mom, I heard the story, sitting right, she's in the wheelchair, sitting against a cluttered kitchen table in a cluttered kitchen. And I asked her, when did you receive Christ? As your Savior. So she went right into it when she was a girl, young teen, over at Otisega, we used to go over there and hear him preach and so on. And she and she told me about that, so I asked some follow-up questions. And sure enough, someone gave a message on salvation, that Christ was the Savior. And she went forward and received Christ as her Savior. But she was just worried about some sins in later years. And she knew she's getting ready to die, so she wanted to know if things were okay between her and God. So we started with... John 5.24. Anybody know that verse? He that heareth my word and believeth on him that sent me, to put it in current English, has everlasting life and shall not come into condemnation, but is passed, not, not will pass when you die, but is passed from death unto life. I explained to that old woman in the wheelchair, that means, Bernard, when you went up to Otisega and heard that message and you heard the word and you walked up there and you believed on Christ and called out for forgiveness, at that moment when you were a teenager, you passed from death unto life and you will not come into condemnation. Uh, you're all set. We went over some other verses. And this Kelly, who's her daughter, that called me, she called me again just before we left and she said, we're getting close. Are, will you be able to do the funeral? And I said, I would love to, but my mother-in-law 
failing, we're getting ready to go to Tennessee. So I'll do it if I can. I haven't heard how that all worked out. But then her daughter Kelly told me, you know, that day that you were here, when we put Mom to bed that night, I asked her, Mom, do you know things are all right between you and God? Are you at peace that all your sins have been paid for by Jesus Christ? And she said, she answered me with a smile on her face, just like that in one word, yes. And she said, my mom went to bed with peace in her heart and slept that night. Well, I'll tell you what, that does your heart good to see that God's word just spells it out. And all we have to do is believe what he says. For God, that's the fact of God, so loved the world that he gave, that's the act of God, his only begotten son. The pact is, whosoever believeth in him, not in a preacher, not in some clergy guy, not in a church, not in something else, you believe in him, the Savior. Amen? I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes to the Father but through me. It's old, it's old truth, but it's amazing how simple it is and how... How hard it is for us to get it sometimes. So there's a new focus and a new purpose. There's a new testament. Christ is our Passover lamb. And there's a new meaning. There's a new meaning in this passage. Again, the guys around the table. Which one of you women's got a Kleenex handy? Thank you, Amy. It's nice of you. Glad Amy gave it to me. A teenage boy, I... I question whether it had previous use, but I know, I know Amy's all giving me top shelf goods there. They, the Old Testament Jews, were redeemed from physical bondage. We, New Testament Christians, are redeemed from spiritual bondage. Listen to these three verses. Listen. It puts all the concepts together in one passage. Listen. Giving thanks unto the Father, which or who hath made us meet or fit to be partakers of the inheritance of the saints, who hath delivered us from the power of darkness and hath translated us into the kingdom of his dear Son, in whom we have redemption through his blood, even the forgiveness of sins. That's enough to make a Baptist show. That's... By the way, that's a great passage to read over while you're getting impatient, waiting for dinner here in a minute. Colossians 1, Colossians 1, verses 12 through 14, we just read. So there's a new focus here. There's a new purpose. The guys thought they were having unleavened bread and roast lamb, which they were. And then right in the middle, as they were giving thanks for all that meant to a Jew, Christ gave thanks and said, this represents now my body, my blood, and don't miss it in the end of verse 19. This is my body which is given for you. This do, what's the new purpose? In what? Remembrance of who? Me. So why I call it the Lord's Supper, I don't call it communion. I don't call it the Eucharist, personally. I don't call it the Mass. I say it's the Lord's Supper because the Lord took over this supper, the last supper that he had with them, and he turned their supper into his supper. He said, this is going to represent my body. This is going to represent my blood. 
And so I think, to me, to my heart, to my mind, based on all these scriptures, I think the Lord's Supper says it the best and the most accurate. That's why I use that phrase. Now, we're going to close by reading uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 11. Go over there if you would, please. See, we just saw, and you can see in Mark, or excuse me, Matthew 26, we were reading Luke 22, Mark 14 has got it. All the synoptic gospels have the institution of the Lord's Supper. You know, they were they were eating the Old Testament supper, and Christ is transitioning, refocusing to this new covenant. So we're seeing how it started. You, you wonder, you know, because other stuff Christ said and did with them. Later, he they, they don't get it. You know what I'm saying? Christ said it. He taught it. What he said was clear and accurate. But then later, they didn't get it, so they're not doing it right. So it's comforting to see with the Lord's Supper, they got it. Because you can look ahead later to the church at Corinth, and they had their problems. That's for sure. We all know about Excuse me, that. But boy, they got this part. And Paul is relating to them. This, he understood it fully and he wanted them to be clear. And they did have some issues about uh, the sacredness, I guess, if that's the word, of this. And they were taking it lightly and bringing some other things into it. But Paul said, no, no, this, this is what we're supposed to do. Do you remember this? Let's see what Paul told this church. And this is, this is the passage I always use when we do the Lord's Supper. When you see me walk down here and I've got my Bible open, this is the passage I have open right here. And I always start with verse 23. And Paul is telling the church, For I, Paul, have received of the Lord that which also I delivered unto you, that the Lord Jesus, the same night in which he was betrayed, he took bread. And when he had given thanks, and we've looked at that phrase, saints, by the way, it's the identical word here, he break it and said, Take eat. This is my body, which is broken for you. This do in remembrance of me. And after the same manner also he took the cup. And when he had supped, saying, This cup is the New Testament in my blood. This do ye as oft as ye drink it in remembrance of me. And where did Paul get this stuff? According to verse 23, where did Paul get this 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 uh, process, this plan, these steps? He got it straight from Christ. And he says, I'm giving it to you. I got it from him. And he, he relays this just as the synoptics, when they put the three accounts together, lay it out uh, in chronological sequence. And then he sums it up in verse 26. For as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, notice we're not talking about some Old Testament lamb now, you do show, proclaim, declare the Lord's death till he come. See? So, Paul made sure they got it because he got it. I want to just close with three quick observations from the verses we just read. 
and based on the wording of the verse. We observe the Lord's Supper in remembrance of Christ. Look at the end of verse 24 and the end of verse 25. Is that clear or not? Is that clear? It's clear. What are we doing when we do the Lord's Supper? According to this passage, we're remembering Christ. We are not re-sacrificing Christ. He paid it all. When he had offered one sacrifice for sins forever, he sat down at the right hand of God. So we're not re-sacrificing Christ. We are remembering Christ. That's observation number one. Observation number two is, in verse 26, you do show, and it's spelled the old English way in the King James. It's, it means to demonstrate, uh, to proclaim, or to declare the Lord's death. That's what we're doing. When we have communion, when we have the Lord's Supper, we take that bread and we're reminded of his body. We take that cup and we're reminded of his bloodshed on the cross. And by doing that, we're proclaiming, declaring the Lord's payment for our sins until he comes. That's what we're doing. We're proclaiming it, but we're not repeating it. Those are two different things. This says we show it, we proclaim it, we declare it. And, of course, they gave thanks, the Jews, for the Old Testament Passover lamb. We give thanks for the Lamb of God, which takes away the sin of the world. Christ, our Passover, is sacrificed for us. When the men pray, when we do the Lord's Supper, one thanks the Lord that Christ gave his body. The other thanks the Lord that Christ gave his blood. We don't focus on the Old Testament lamb. It doesn't mean a thing to us anymore. We focus on Christ, our Passover, the Lamb of God, which takes away the sin of the world. Amen? Amen? So that's what we do when we do the Lord's Supper. So the Lord's Supper is, number one, a, a change from the Old Testament Passover to the New Testament. Secondly, it's a completed, it, 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 it portrays a completed offering, a once-for-all, one-sacrifice for sins forever offering. And thirdly today, it's a commemoration of thanksgiving. We give thanks for our land, the Lord. And we are focused on that new covenant. The fact of God, the act of God, the pact of God. So where are you this morning with that? He said, I love you. And I gave my son to die for your sins on the cross. Now that's all he can do. Send his son down here to be born in flesh and to die on the cross, to live a sinless life, and to die as a substitute in our place on the cross and pay for it all and say, I'm offering you forgiveness free. What more can God do? And the answer is nothing except put it in print and make sure there's people around to harp on it and pray about it and give you the news in a tract or in a letter or a daily witness. Amen. That's the, that's the agreement. But then we have to receive it. And we're between Thanksgiving and Christmas officially now. Some of you have already went out and bought gifts. Right? Because you cared for somebody. You paid for it. Is that right or wrong? You paid for the gift. You're going to present that gift to someone that's going to have their name on it. And think about this. 
That's all Bob you can do except take it over their house and stick it under their tree. But at some point, to make the whole process count, they've got to take that gift and believe it's theirs and open it and say, I'm claiming they receive the gift. And twice God talks about salvation as the gift of God. He bought it. He paid for it. It's got our name on it. Whosoever will. And we have to receive it. If you're sitting here this morning and you've never received the gift, it's just like having the most expensive Christmas gift in the world in your living room under your tree with your name on it and you just won't open it. What a sad thing. Open the gift. Receive the Lord. And then you've got something to give thanks for. And if you're sitting here and you say, boy, you know, some of this is starting to make sense, but I don't even know how to do that. Well, what we're going to do is we'll just have a closing prayer in a moment. Glenn will come up here and we're going to have a song to sing. And right while we're singing the song, if you would actually like someone to show you out of the Bible how to receive Christ as your Savior, what we can do is simply this. As we're standing and everybody's singing, you just make your way to the nearest aisle. And you say, well, I'm stuck in the middle. So you just say to the person next to you, excuse me, I need to get out. And boy, they'll get out. They'll get right out. You can slide down. You come up here. When we see you standing here, if a boy or a man comes, we'll get a man to go with you right there through that door to a table and open the Bible and just show you how to receive that gift. You can do it right here today. And if a girl or a woman comes, we'll have a lady go with you and show you how to do that. And you can leave here just like Myrna got to that place. I receive Christ, and I'm at peace. I know things are right between God and me now. Amen. So Christ, our Passover, is celebrates for us, uh, sacrifice for us. We have a great deal to celebrate. We have a great deal to be thankful for. Giving thanks. Giving thanks unto the Father, who hath made us to be partakers of the inheritance of the saints of light, who hath delivered us from the power of darkness, translated us into the kingdom of his dear son, if we, in whom we have redemption through his blood, even the forgiveness of sins. And if you're looking for that, you come as we say, let's pray. The first five years of a child's life are the most important for healthy development and long-term well-being. The experiences and relationships formed during this period of rapid brain development build a foundation for future learning and success. Yet, this critical development is in jeopardy for many children whose families lack access to quality early learning and care, especially those living in under-resourced communities. The impacts of this opportunity gap are measurable in as early as nine months. Start Early is a proven nonprofit providing doula, home visiting, Head Start, and early Head Start programs, and advocating for policies that put families first. They've been expanding access to quality early learning and care for over 40 years, but there is more work to be done. Learn more about Start Early and the work they do by visiting startearly.org thrive.